Hey everyone, welcome back to Land Investing Online. Come unlock your potential freedom through land investing. Here at Land Investing Online, we teach students how to profitably buy and sell vacant land. This is the simplest, least competitive, and most profitable sector of real estate. For more information, visit landinvestingonline.com. We even have a free Discord with tons of successful investors in it, including Ron and myself. Come network with the best. Please subscribe and like this video, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you guys are listening from. It drives this business forward and it really means the world to Ron and I. As always, guys, I'm Dan Rapke, joined again by my brother and business partner, Ron Apke. Welcome back, Ron. Hey, Dan. Good to be here. Before we get into today's topic, we're going to talk about taxes in today's topics and tax advice from real estate investors that are not CPAs. But before we get into that, let's go over a question from one of our members. The question is, I plan on mailing about 3,000 mailers each of my first few months. Should I send these all to the same area? Great question. Um, Ron, talk about that from a basic level so people who are new can understand that as well. Yeah, exactly. So we, we mail, we send direct mail all over the country to acquire land, essentially. Um, all of it's priced. And what this member is asking, or I don't, I think they're a potential member is asking if they should send all of their, I guess, first three months, 3,000 each, all 9,000 mailers to the same area, or should they try a few different areas? Um, I really like that 3,000 amount, Dan, and I think that's a great way to test an area. Um where you're sending, maybe it's two counties and maybe it's two counties and three different areas. So to answer the question, no, don't send it all to the same like cluster of counties. Um, choose different areas in the country. You're going to find out different things about different areas. But uh, I would do one month on one area of the country, of one month and another and one month and another. Pick counties that you really like. Make sure they're rural enough and not too close to big cities. But uh, to answer your question, I think you're just in one of those counties, most likely, or one of those areas will work out well for you. And then you can kind of spread out from that area. Um, and I think that's the best way to do it. This is what we're constantly pushing members to do. It's, yeah, it's a little more work because you got to learn about different areas if you do get deals back in both areas. But uh, I, I think at the end of the day, you'll learn more like this and you'll kind of figure out what area you want to expand on and move forward with. Yeah, great point. And then you'll learn a lot about two different markets as well. Like if you're in two different states, there's different laws, regulations. It just will make you more versatile as a land investor. I don't have anything more to add than that. That was great information, Ron. Let's get into today's topic, tax advice from real estate investors, which are Ron and I, which are non-CPAs. So we have CPAs that come on. We had um, Ashish, which if you haven't heard that episode, um, go back and watch our tax accountant um, for land investor episode and we go into great details on that um but if if you haven't seen that i think one of the major hurdles people have ron is they hear all this advice from accountants and it can kind of get a little you know complicated and it can kind of confuse them um that's the purpose of this we just want to have some advice and what we have learned and some of the mistakes we made from non-tax cpas um so Take what we say with a grain of salt as well and question and challenge everything we say. But this is some stuff that has helped us. And we wanted to keep this really basic. Um, and yeah, just to remind you, we're not CPAs, obviously. So we just want to dumb yep. it down. And that's the goal of this, Ron. Yeah, consult your CPA after what you hear what we say. Consult your CPA about what we do, see if it's a good idea, something like that. Maybe we're completely wrong on something. Um, but all this is from advice we've gotten and kind of put together um, just different clusters of advice from CPAs. 
um, and what we've learned by being in the real estate business full time for quite quite a bit of time. Um, and that's what we do. Like we're, we're in real estate. We try to obviously minimizing taxes is important. And being a full time real estate investor, I don't think there's any better occupation in the world than or a full time in real estate full time. I don't think you get any. There's no better occupation in terms of uh, tax benefits, I don't think. Exactly. And we'll get into that more in detail here in a bit. But one thing I did want to bring up before completely hopping into it, if you're just starting out, we have so many members and people looking to join that ask about taxes before they even join, before they even get <coughs> mail. It's almost like they're acting about or asking about it before they've done anything. Um, is this something you need to worry about if you haven't even started, Ron? Like, should you just get started or should you try to figure out your taxes before you even have anything to worry no, about? No, because you don't you don't own it, you don't owe any taxes until you make any damn money. Um, so if you're not making money, which if you just started, um, you're not making money yet. So start worrying about taxes once you actually start making some money. It's not a bad idea to plan, like, but at the end of the day, you can go down a rabbit hole of like, I don't know, it's just a waste of time. Like you're better, you're gonna make more money. It's gonna be more worth your time to price and send mail and do all the land business stuff versus thinking about taxes when you haven't made a dime. Exactly. Definitely do not deep dive into taxes. Maybe learn the basics if you want. It's not going to do you much good until um, you actually start making money. But all right. So let's say I sent some mail. I'm getting some deals in. Um, let's talk Dan, about- can I say one thing there? Yeah. Can I, the one thing that you do at the beginning, if you have long-term rentals or something like this, do not put it under that LLC. You will screw yourself in taxes. That is one thing to do. Um, if you have long-term rentals, if you have uh, short-term rentals, even um, this should be a new entity. Whether you, you can do it under your own name, which we've said before, um, but the one thing that you should not do is put it under long-term rentals. This is a flip business, which is different than any of that. Yep, exactly. Really good point. Um, well, let's talk about then uh, bookkeeping, Ron. So, say I am sending mail, I'm spending money. Let's talk about do do I need to go out first and hire a bookkeeper? What what would your advice be on this? Things get complicated in this business. Obviously, if you're you know you're sending mail, maybe you're hiring virtual assistants, you're acquiring properties, you're selling properties. There's a lot of money shuffling around. You have services and you know phone and Pat Live and all these different things. What would you do, Ron, to start out? Yeah, I mean. I would not hire go out and hire a bookkeeper. I just, I don't think it's worth the time or worth the money at that point. Uh, you can do it in Excel some, you can even do it from your bank account. Like you don't need to have a bookkeeper throughout your entire year. Like it just, it doesn't need to happen. Um, Dan and I are kind of more doers and we don't really, we didn't really, our first year we didn't hire a bookkeeper till December and he literally backlogged all of our books, uh, which worked fine. But you, yeah, I don't think you need one to start. I mean, you could if you want to, it would make it really legit. If you're trying to grow really fast, maybe that's a good idea. But if you're just like testing the waters with this, like don't hire a bookkeeper until the end of the year, October, November, and get your book straight then. Yeah, exactly. But keep in mind, Ron saying that we didn't hire, we had a good grasp on our financials just because we were working out of um, Excel and we had a pretty deep, or it was actually Airtable and we had a pretty detailed document showing our, our results and profit and loss. You have to know your profit loss every month. You have to know what you're spending. You have to know how much you're acquiring, how much you're selling. Um, 
and it doesn't need to be too sophisticated. You can do a guy with Google Sheets. Just look up profit loss statements or something. You have to know every month what you have, you're acquiring, what you're selling, and just know your numbers because that drives you forward. It's one thing to send 10,000 mailers, and then maybe the next month you send 15,000, but you won't know the difference if you're not tracking your stuff. You might have a feel for it, but you need to track your results. So do it yourself is completely fine. That's what we did for the first year we started. Um, and then we had a bookkeeper backtrack and now we have a bookkeeper that we pay every month and it's more sophisticated, but honestly, that results tab, um, that we have in Airtable is just as important because we see what we're acquiring and what we're selling and really have a grip on our financials. Then we go into QuickBooks for, you know, the things we don't see in there as well. Um, so that's what I would say. Just work out of uh, Google sheet or something at first. Ron, what yeah, exactly. did we make any big mistakes that we could give advice for, or what what did we learn the first year? So I know we just said don't hire a bookkeeper at first and don't worry about it at first. Over, don't do too much research and stuff. Start sending mail and make money before you worry about this. What else did we did we have anything else we learned? Um, I mean, bigger picture of things like not getting not buying other properties to write off some of our income was a big thing. Dan, I don't know if you want to get into that yet. Um, yeah, let's let's get into that then. So like Ron said, for full-time investors, there's a lot of tax benefits. This is full-time real estate investors um, to the IRS. So you can be a real estate agent. You can be uh, a house flipper, land flipper, wholesaler, as long as it's full-time and go on the IRS website and type in full-time real estate investor requirements. And if you fit those requirements, you have, like Ron said, a ton of tax benefits and you can do a lot with that. Um, so that's what you need to ask yourself. Go to that website. Are you full-time or part-time? If you're full-time, you can qualify for full-time investor benefits, um, which we'll start talking about now, Ron. Yeah. Um, yeah. So bonus depreciation, essentially when you buy a physical access, physical asset, whether it's an apartment building, whatever, a mobile home park, um, even a golf course is considered this, you can do a ton of bonus depreciation if you bought a golf course. But uh, so what that is, it's essentially writing off depreciation. Did I say appreciation? Um, bonus depreciation is basically writing off. You, you can write off a ton. So let's say we made half a million dollars each our first year. If we bought $1.5 to $2 million of assets, we could have written off all of that and paid $0 in taxes. So it's essentially like you're you're getting giant tax write-offs, which is... It's, a, it's accelerating depreciation on the asset that you bought um, and doing it all the first year. Um, so normally, I don't know what it is, Daniel. Normally, like an apartment building will depreciate over 27 and a half years or something it's 20, like that. It's either 27 and a half or 29 and a half. Yeah. And you can push like all, you can push almost all that depreciation to the first year um, or some stuff like it. It will break down everything in there in its own depreciation category. I think I'm getting too complicated with this, Dan. But essentially, what you can do with these assets that you purchase, you can have giant write-offs on them. And literally, you can write off millions of dollars a year. Um, if you made a million dollars in a year, like it's very realistic to write off that full million dollars. And there's tons of real estate investors all around the country. And that's how they get so wealthy is they are buying assets. They're depreciating, which really they don't depreciate. They appreciate. Um, they're buying these assets, they're writing off all of their income from whatever other thing they're doing. And then they're just buying these assets that continually grow and their wealth can grow so fast because of that, Dan. 
Yeah, and I did it on a couple uh, buildings last year. So what happens then if you're a full-time real estate investor and say you buy, it has to be the year you buy or it should, you get the most benefits if you do it the year you buy the building. So if I bought the building anytime in 2022, it could even be the last day of 2022. I have till, you know, tax time to really get that audited. So what happens is you go to um, a uh, bonus depreciation auditor who literally sends someone out there, does a virtual type of tour, and they will write a schedule for the depreciation. They'll send someone there, they'll write a schedule for the depreciation, and they'll have the cabinets, lighting, um, garage, uh, any concrete, uh, you know, parking lot, pavement type stuff, decks. All They'll write down all the asset lists and break it down into how much it's going to depreciate over time. And then you'll, you'll get that total amount and say you bought like a $500,000 place. They'll say like 240000 of that is going to be depreciatable. And what they do is they take the total price that you bought it for, which is considered the market value. And they'll subtract the land cost and you give them a percentage of the total cost of the building usually, or the total cost of the piece of property you bought. So if it was $500,000 and you tell them um, 20% or 15%, then they're going to write off the $75,000. So it's going to be 500,000 minus 75,000. So it's going to be $425,000 is what they're going to look at. And then they'll say, okay, 170,000 of this is depreciable. You'll take that $170,000 Say you made $500,000 of income that year, you'll take that $170,000 and they'll, you'll subtract it from your income or your accountant will, obviously. Um, there's more that goes into it, but that's how I look at it at least. So then instead of paying taxes on $500,000, you pay taxes on, what's that run? $330,000. It's $170,000. Yep. Um, so that's just kind of the brief overview. And if you're not full-time and you're making money, make yourself full-time because you can write off your income and not have to pay taxes to the government. And it's a pretty cool thing. And, it, you know, when you get in real estate and get big enough, it's all about kicking the can down the road and not paying taxes now. Um, and then you kind of figure it out as you go. And in 10 years or 20 years when you sell the building. And that's what I want to talk about now is um, you only want to do this for long-term holds. You don't want to do this for something yourself because you're going to owe that tax when you sell it. So I think as she said 15 minimum years or 10 years minimum or so, Ron. Mm-hmm. Um so you only want to do this for long-term holds, Ron. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good thing to say because you don't want to you don't want to buy and flip something and then you, you're going to just owe the taxes right back. So that's a really good point. And at the end of the day, there's not reason to sell property. Like I don't see any reason to sell like an apartment building or something like that. Just if you need money out of it, refinance it when it's worth more than that. Um, I don't think there's any building, like unless it's just a building you're just trying to get out of that's just giving you a ton of headaches. Like, I don't see myself really sell, selling any business or buildings. Well, refinancing, yeah, maybe. But uh, other than that, Dan, I don't see the purpose of selling a building. Well, I read um, Trump's book, The Art of the Deal, and he talked about he would he actually owned a building in Cincinnati, which is where Ron and I he owned a big, uh, I think it was like five hundred units in Cincinnati. I read this a long time ago, so I I could be wrong. But he ended up going. He had this little butcher down the street. It was this jewish butcher shop he'd go to every time he's in town and the the owner of the butcher told him he's like this area is falling apart there's shootings every day um it's getting really rough around here so then donald trump hears all this and then he hears it from a few other people that it's getting really bad 
and he um, ends up selling the building because he saw that he kind of peaked it out, right? It was maxed out on value and it was going to go down because the area was getting rough. So there are situations like that when yeah. you get to a higher level, but um, that's not what we're here to talk about. Let's talk about saving money and let's go back into that then. So we have bonus depreciation is the biggest thing. Um, but then another thing that Ashish talked about a lot is becoming an S corp. Once you hit, like, I think he just gave a rough number of a hundred thousand dollars of profit or more Ron. Um, yeah. and then you can eliminate some of your employment taxes. Um, and the way that works, do you know how that works, Ron, or do you want me to explain that? You go for it. So, so that, um, so what you do when you have an S corp, you pay yourself a fair market salary, right? So say maybe the fair market salary is $50,000. So if I made, Say, say my business made $150,000 and I paid myself $50,000 through W-2. So I'm considered, considered a W-2 employee of this company now, which is different from if you're just an LLC pass-through entity. So you make yourself a W-2 and give yourself a $50,000 salary and talk to your accountant on what your salary should be because it needs to be fair market value to the IRS. But then you pay yourself $50,000 and that $50,000 has employment tax um, it gets employment tax and all the standard taxes, federal, state, income level taxes, and it gets everything. So that $50,000, you're paid. So now you have $100,000. That distribution, that $100,000 is considered a distribution for an S-Corp. So that $100,000 will not get hit with um, employment taxes, which saves you money on Medicare, Social Security, all that stuff. That's employment taxes. That $100,000 is not subject to it, but that $50,000 is. So that's the benefit and it saves you. I can't remember what employment taxes are around. It's around 12 to 15%. It's or like, uh, I think the employer and the employee is like six and a half, maybe each. I could be wrong. Yeah. So it's around 12 to 15%, something around there that it saves you on that. And that's one of the first things that Ashish had us do. He's like, yeah, if you're making all this money, definitely change to a S corp, pay yourself reasonable salary. And then that way, all of your rest of your money is not going to get hit with employment tax. Um, so I did want to touch on that, but talk to your accountants on this, guys. Our numbers are like, I think Ron and I started by paying $75,000 or something like that for our salaries, um, just because we didn't want to get in any, you could probably go lower than that and argue it fine with the IRS. But if you get audited down the road and they say that's not fair market for two managers is what they'll, how they'll classify us. Um, then they can go back and fine you and do different things. So you want to be safe with the IRS because if you do get audited down the road, they'll fine you and you have to pay um, fees and all kinds of additional interest on that that you didn't pay. Yeah, you want to keep it low, but at the same time, like the, I think I believe the way the IRS looks at it, like if you were to hire your po position out, how much would you have to pay them essentially? And that's what they view fair market value as. So if I wanted to hire someone to replace me, essentially, what would I be paying them? And that's my fair market value that I need to pay myself from the S Corp. Do not try to go real low with it and pay yourself $30,000. Because um, right now, trust me, you're not going to get a $30,000 employee to do whatever you're doing. Um, yeah, I, I think that goes into it. That's a, the S Corp thing is big. Not that many people talk about it, Dan, but it can save you a ton of money. And tell me if I'm wrong, Dan, you can do this. I, I know actually I'm right. Um, you can do this at the end of the year also, like you just need to, you don't need to like file a bunch of papers. Your accountant just needs, you need to start payroll, start payroll by December of the year. You want to do that. And then your accountant will need to file as an S corp, correct Dan? Yeah, they can do a late file for it. Um, it's called a late election for an S corp and talk to your accountant on that, but they can definitely do that. And then you'll have to backtrack. So that's what we did. We were like, we got to December our first year and we were like, wow, we made a boat crap load of money. 
um, we have to become an S corp. So in December, we literally paid ourselves that whole $75,000 or whatever it was each, um, in December to backtrack it. Cause they don't care what months you paid in, right? This is 2020, whatever the year is, say it was 2021 last year. And, um, they, they just want to see in 2021, you paid this, right? Um, so that's just what you can do. It can be December. You do not need to get ahead of this. You can be on the late end and wait, wait till the end of the year and see how your performance was and see if it makes sense. Then go to your account and be like, Hey, I profited this. This is what my books look like. Um, should I become an S corp? Should we elect to be an S corp? And that's all it is. So you stay as an LOC and you're an LOC electing as an S corp. I think how they classify it. Right. Um, yep. so you can do this late and then, and then like Ron said, um, if we're paying each other $75,000 each, that's 150,000. We have all the taxes and the employment taxes, social security, Medicare, state, federal, all that. But then the rest of the distribution, if we made 500,000, so that $350,000 is going to save that 13, 12 to 15% of employment taxes. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, everyone, if you're making, you need to put time into doing that and making yourself a files and S corp, if you're making a couple hundred grand, which a lot of you are out there. Um, so yeah, I think that's really good. What else you want to get into Dan? I think another solo thing, 401. Yeah. That's another thing that saved us money is 401k stuff. Max out your 401k it can be solo 401k. So you can do whatever you, what Ron and I did. We, we did a solo 401k and then his wife did a solo 401k. Um, so we could put all that money and then it saves us. So pretty much our business is going to be taxed less. So if it was, what was it? 19,500 was the max Ron. Um, Eighteen five or nineteen five, something like that. Something no, like so that. it's nine. So what it is is essentially you can do. It's either eighteen five or nineteen five. You can do eighteen five, and then you can also do an additional twenty five percent of what your salary was. So that's Daniel and I, if we did eighty thousand dollars, that's easier numbers for me. Um, we can put into our solo four hundred one k thirty eight thousand dollars or so untaxed. So that eighteen five plus twenty percent, twenty five percent of a. Uh, that 80,000. And like Daniel said, you can do this with your spouses, with your kids. If they're doing something for the business, you can do it with them as well. And my wife did some stuff for the business. So she ended up, we paid her like 30,000. And then we could put in a, literally all that went straight to a non-taxed uh, 401k. Um, so we literally got $25,000 of tax savings there as well. Um, which is great. If you're doing this by yourself, it's a lot easier. It's a little more complicated because I had to make stuff even with Daniel because we're paying my wife all that. Um, but, uh, it's definitely a good option and, uh, doing that can save you a ton on taxes. Yeah. So it was a 20 or 25% you say, Ron, of your salary. I think it was 25. All right. So let's do some simple math. So say you have that $75,000 salary times 0.25, that's 18,750 plus 18,500, that's $37,250 of untaxed money that you can put in that solo 401k. And then that saves the business is going to have to pay less taxes and you're going to have to pay less taxes for 37,000. So if you're in a higher tax bracket, say you're in 35%, that saves you $13,000 right there of taxes. Um, so that's just higher level stuff. Talk to your accountant about 401, solo 401ks. And if you qualify, you have to be um, there's a lot of requirements for it and you cannot have a W2 employee. That's the number one. So if you have 1099 employees and you're new or just virtual assistant overseas, you cannot have W2 employees and do that. But that's a big saving because we had Kayla, uh, Ron's wife, um, and Ron and myself, and it saved us, you know, $120,000 or something, $130,000 of taxes that we would have to see. 
Um, so that's another big one. And then there's other things around besides those are the kind of the real big ones become an S corp bonus depreciation is the biggest by far. And then the solo 401k was pretty big. And then there's things like your office, your home office that people always get into. Those are smaller numbers. They still add up. You want to write off that stuff, get with your accountant. Cause I don't want to tell you what you can write off and whatnot really. Is there anything else big around that, that helps? No, I think all that's, it adds up. Like, just think about like, it, it, it adds up like office expenses, laptop, things that you're using for your business. Like make sure you're having business write-offs as well. Like this stuff adds up like this camera that we're recording on. I don't use it for anything else. This is a hundred percent full write-off for this um, laptop. If you're using that hundred percent for business, um, it, it just, it, the stuff adds up guys. It really does. And it saves you a lot of money over time. Um, you might not think about it in January, February, March, but when you're paying that, maybe you do then, maybe not June, July, but when you're paying that tax bill or when that tax bill comes the following year, like you're like, shit, I should have done a couple of these things. Um, so just think about it, like the home office write off. It's, it's actually, if you're renting, like how much rent is Dan nowadays? Like if you're I'm renting, 3000, I know you like you're, you're, and you probably, you wrote off probably $15,000 or so. Yeah, um, I wrote off a lot of these. Exactly. You got a decent sized office. Um, that stuff adds up. It's all based on a portion of your rent. You can write off your internet, stuff like that. But uh, the biggest ones, Dan, I think are solo 401k and uh, and uh, bonus depreciation. Yeah, they are. And and like I, I was able to write off my car. I got a new uh, Ram Rebel truck last year and I was able to write that off because I use it for rental properties and other stuff like that. You have to be careful, guys, because you can't everyone just throws the word. Let's write it off. We can write it off. You hear that. They made fun of it in the show. Um, uh, what's the show you watch at night, Ron? Uh, Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. Yeah, they were like, <laughs> just write it off. <laughs> it's like, write what off? And, testing lamps in his house and writing it off. Yeah, he's like, right, what off? I don't know, just write it off. And they're like yelling all that stuff. And it's like, you do hear that <laughs> that term thrown around a lot. So be careful because you will eventually possibly get audited. And the IRS doesn't mess around. They like their money and you don't want to end up going to jail or anything. You know, just do things right up front and you won't have to worry about it down the road. Yeah. Um, that's all I have to say. Yeah, my truck, I was able to write off because I use it for my rental properties. I think it was like $26,500 or something I got back from the government for that. Um, so yep. these things add up. You talk about your, you know, thirty-eight thousand or $40,000 401k and then your $26,000 um, car that you were able to write off and then your home office, $15,000, things like that. And then you're sitting at $100,000, $150,000 of write-offs plus a couple buildings that you bought and you're not paying tax to the government. So there yep. you go. That's what we're here for. Exactly. Hopefully that was helpful, Dan. I don't have anything to add. I don't want to, like I said, like we said multiple times, guys, we're not CPAs. Um, we're just some, we're somewhat experienced in this and we've dealt with taxes year in, year out um, with our real estate. And we've learned quite a bit every single year and we still are. Um, but uh, definitely consult with your tax, uh, tax advisor, your CPA before you make any moves based on what we said. Yeah. And also, if you do want to sell a business down the road, this is kind of unrelated, but it is also related. If you're a C-Corp um, for five years or more, I think it's five years, you do not need to pay capital gains tax when you sell it. That's the last big thing. So if you do have a business, maybe it's not even this business, and you turn it to a C-Corp, own it for five years, you won't pay cap gains tax on it because you paid that corporate tax all those years is kind of what it's showing. 
Other than that, guys, thanks so much for joining again. To get started and unlock your potential freedom, visit landinvestingonline.com. Join our free Discord, guys. Get in there, network. Ron and I are in there. Tons of successful investors are in there. Please like and subscribe our YouTube channel, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you guys are listening on. It means a lot. Other than that, guys, we'll see you next episode, and thank you for joining. Thanks, guys.